0: America's first three Apollo astronauts died only 218 feet off the ground Friday night in a blazing explosion inside their space capsule atop at its launch pad. Welcome back to the Ant on the Move podcast so starting off this podcast might give you an idea of what we're talking about and uh, starting on a somber somber note but today we are talking about the Apollo 1 space disaster. It happened this week or within this week in history happened on January 27th. Um, I thought about initially doing a podcast about all three space tragedies uh, for the U.S. since they all happen so closely together. But as I began reading more about Apollo 1, I was like, yeah, we need to dedicate just one podcast to this. We'll do the others in the future, maybe next year around the uh, anniversary or just um, when I have time to do some research about it. But uh, now for now, let's get into talking about the Apollo 1 tragedy. America awoke on Saturday, January 28th, 1967, to learn of the tragic deaths of Gus Grissom, Ed White, and Roger Chaffee, in the world's first known space tragedy. The race for space was the highlight of the decade. All around the country, astronauts were the superheroes of the era, and now three were gone. Gus Grissom Hailing from Mitchell, Indiana, was selected to be an astronaut in the first group, the Mercury 7, in 1959. Grissom's degree in mechanical engineering and his time in the military as a test pilot made him a perfect astronaut candidate. Grissom was the backup astronaut for Alan Shepard for the first U.S. flight into space on May 5, 1961. When America, trailing the Soviets in the space race, finally succeeded in putting a man In space. A few months later, Gus Grissom became the second American in space aboard his capsule named Liberty 7. Grissom was selected as the commander of the first crewed Apollo mission, what we know today as Apollo 1. In their terms, they designated it as AS 204. It didn't have official Apollo launch designation yet. For the sake of this uh, podcast, we're just going to refer to it as Apollo 1. It's just easier. Senior pilot on Apollo 1 was Ed White. White hailed from Texas. He graduated from West Point, spent time in West Germany flying the F-86 Sabre, and went on to become a test pilot at Wright-Patterson Air Force Base in Ohio. White joined the Astronaut Corps with eight fellow candidates in the second group of astronauts known as the New Nine. This was in September, uh, on September 17, 1962. White's first foray into space was on board Gemini 4 alongside command pilot James McDivitt. On June 3rd, 1965, on his first mission, Ed White gained the distinction of being the first American to make an EVA. NASA lingo for spacewalk. He spent 20 minutes floating in space, while McDivitt took some astounding photos of White floating above Earth. His spacewalk coming to an end, White said, I'm coming back in. And it's the saddest moment of my life. Following this historic event, White was selected for the number two seat, that of senior pilot aboard the first crewed Apollo flight. The Mercury missions were solo flights. They were also the last time the U.S. sent just one person into space. Fun trivia fact for you there. Jiminy capsules held two men each, but the Apollo spacecraft had space for three. The third man chosen for Apollo 1 was a young pilot from Grand Rapids, Michigan, Roger Chaffee. Chaffee graduated from Purdue University and entered the Navy. He began his pilot's training at Naval Air Station, Pensacola. He was part of the Heavy Photographic Squadron 62 that included taking photos over Cuba during the Cuba Missile Crisis. Chaffee was selected to be an astronaut as part of NASA's third group in 1963. He served as Capsule Communicator, or Capcom, for Gemini 3 and 4, before receiving his first flight assignment, the first-manned Apollo mission. am I good with all the technical details about the missions. Uh, I didn't have enough time to, to research all of that. But here's just a brief synopsis of what was going to be uh, special about Apollo. So the Apollo 1 mission was scheduled for February twenty first, 1967. The spacecraft taking the crew into orbit was designated as CSM 012, or Command Service Module 12, powered by a Saturn 1B rocket. The uh, Saturn V, uh, the super heavy lift launch vehicle, was in the works to take future crews beyond Earth orbit, but the Saturn 1B was used to test the capabilities of the CSM, the Command and Service Module. That's as tactical as I'm going to get on that. Now, the purpose for this first mission was to test launch operations, ground tracking, control facilities, and to see the performance of the Apollo-Saturn launch assembly. This was one of the baby steps needed to reach that first one small step for man on the moon. If all went well, the mission would last for two weeks. Now, going into any form of space travel, risks are known. It's known that there'll be risks. Many of these first astronauts were test pilots. They had dealt with risks. They had had seen the deaths of colleagues along the way. But there was something about this particular command module that caused some issues. Now, let me read an excerpt from something I found, which says, talking specifically about command module, command service module 12, it says, once all outstanding CSM-12 hardware problems were fixed, the reassembled spacecraft finally completed a successful altitude chamber test with Shiraz's backup crew on December 30th. More about that later. According to the final report of the Accident Investigation Board, at the post-test debriefing, the backup crew expressed their satisfaction with the condition and performance of the spacecraft. This would appear, though, to contradict the account given in the 1994 book Lost Moon, The Perilous Voyage of Apollo 13, by Jeffrey Kluger and astronaut James Lovell, that when the three climbed out of the ship, Sherrod made it clear that he was not pleased with what he had seen, and that he later warned Grissom and Shea that there's nothing wrong with the ship that I can point to, but it just makes me uncomfortable. Something about it just doesn't ring right. And that Grissom should get out at the first sign of trouble. After the successful altitude test, the spacecraft was removed from the altitude chamber on January 3, 1967, and mated it to its Saturn 1B rocket on Pad 34 on January 6th. Grissom said in a February 1963 interview that NASA could not eliminate risk despite precaution. His quote... An awful lot of people have devoted more effort than I can describe to make Project Mercury and its successors as safe as humanly possible. But we also recognize that there remains a great deal of risk, especially in initial operations, regardless of planning. You just can't forecast all the things that could happen, or when they could happen. I suppose that someday we are going to have a failure. In every other business, there are failures and they are bound to happen sooner or later, he added. Gristom was asked about the fear of potential catastrophe in a December 1966 interview. You sort of have to put that out of your mind. There's always a possibility that you can have a catastrophic failure, of course. That can happen on any flight. It can happen on the last one, as well as the first one. So you just plan as best you can to take care of all the eventualities, and you get a well-trained crew, and you go fly. On January 26th, the Apollo 1 backup crew of Walter Wally Schirra, Don Isley, and Walter Walt Cunningham successfully completed the plugs-in test. So a quick definition of a plugs-in test and a plugs-out test. The plugs-out test. The plugs out test is a spacecraft test in which all external connections are disconnected as far as possible. It's one of the final tests before launch day. The test for Apollo 1 was considered a non-critical test. For a plugs in test, the spacecraft relies on power from the ground for communication, lights, etc. that are connected to the ship through the open hatch. It was the job of the prime crew to perform the plugs-out test the very next day, January 27th, 1967. The crew began entering the command module at 1 p.m. Eastern Time, after a delay of a few hours, wearing fully pressurized suits. First, Grissom climbed in on the left, Chaffee took the right seat, and White entered last, taking the middle seat. They strapped into their seats— hooked up to the capsule com- oxygen and communication systems, just as they would for launch day. The only difference on the simulated launch day w- from the real thing was the absence of fuel in the launch vehicle and spacecraft, and all the pyrotechnic systems for things like explosive bolts were disabled. Every other aspect of this plugs-out test, down to the 3P ch- hatch system, was in place. Now, the original hatch system for the Apollo program was uh, complicated, and this is possibly due to Grissom's accidental detonation of the hatch on the unsinkable Molly Brown. Now, I'm not saying that Grissom popped the hatch, not saying that, just that somehow there was an accident that popped the hatch while he, on his Gemini mission, somehow the hatch was opened during his his mission now designers had created a three-part system so the hatch could not pop off by a mere bump of a switch this would be terrible in outer space now the hatch consisted of a removable inner hatch which would stay in the cabinet would drop down inside followed by a hinged outer hatch which formed part of the heat shield And finally, a third piece, an outer cover, that was part of the boost protective cover, which enveloped the entire command module to protect it from aerodynamic heat during launch. Once the three hatches were in place, the air in the capsule was replaced with 100% pure oxygen. This was different from the plugs in test, where they had outside air, plugs out test, they were doing it with 100% pure oxygen and the testing of the ship began there were communications issues throughout the test including a problem with Grissom's mic which would always stay on for some reason they couldn't figure out why possibly the last known transmission by Grissom was how are we going to get to the moon if we can't talk between two or three buildings The simulated countdown was held at T-minus 10 minutes, meaning 10 minutes to launch, while attempts were made to fix the communication problems. The crew used this time to run through a checklist on their end, when at 6.31 Eastern Time, what some believe to be Grissom exclaims, Hey, fire! A few seconds later, you hear, We've got a fire in the cockpit, believed to be said by Chaffee. Almost seven seconds pass in silence, followed by a garbled transmission of something like, we've got a bad fire, let's get out, we're burning up. The last sound heard from the Apollo 1 spacecraft was a cry of pain. It would take five minutes for pad workers to open all three hatches. In that time, they were dealing with extreme temperatures and thick smoke. Five men were swapping places as they worked, making every effort to reach the astronauts inside. When the inner hatch was was completely open, pad workers were met with more intense heat and a considerable amount of smoke issued from the interior of the command module. Though the lights inside the cabin were still on, pad workers were at first unable to find the crew due to the thick smoke. The pad leader called down to the ground once the hatches were opened and reported that he could not describe the situation in the command module. This was not said because he was uncertain, Rather, he spoke in this manner in an attempt to convey the fact that the crew were dead to the test conductor, without informing the many people monitoring the communication controls of the grave reality. It was soon determined that nothing could be done to save the crew, and that they should not be immediately removed from the cabin. Leading personnel of the Cape viewed the charred interior of Apollo 1, and photographs were taken of the interior for an investigation. When removal of the crew resumed, it took roughly 90 minutes to remove the first crew lost to the space race in the United States, seven hours after the deadly fire. The Apollo program came to a skidding stop as the nation mourned the loss of Gus Grissom, Ed White, and Roger Chaffee. An investigation board was created to determine the cause of the disaster. And while nothing was determined conclusively to be the specific initiator of the fire, the board did identify conditions they believe led to the disaster. A summary of their findings for the conclusion are... 1. A sealed cabin, pressurized with a pure oxygen atmosphere. 2. An extensive distribution of combustible materials in the cabin. 3. Vulnerable wiring carrying spacecraft power. 4. Vulnerable plumbing, carrying a combustible and corrosive coolant. Number five, inadequate provisions for the crew to escape. Number six, inadequate provisions for rescue or medical assistance. Following is a quote from a history.nasa.gov article called Apollo 1, The Fire. Having identified these conditions, the board addressed the question of how these conditions came to exist. Careful consideration of this question led the board to the conclusion that in its devotion to the many difficult problems of space travel, the Apollo team failed to give adequate attention to certain mundane but equally vital questions of crew safety. The board's investigation revealed many deficiencies in design and engineering, manufacture, and quality control. As a result of the investigation, major modifications in design, material, and procedures were implemented three-piece hatch was replaced by a single quick operating outward opening crew hatch made of aluminum and fiberglass. The new hatch could be opened from inside in siphon seconds and by a pad safety crew in 10 seconds. It would be a few years before the Apollo program would hit the ground running in its attempt to make it to the moon. To fulfill the promise or the the challenge of John F. Kennedy that by the end of the decade, the U.S. would put a man on the moon. As with all great explorers, tragedies happen. The first people to sail and, and sail across the ocean, not all of them were successful. The great explorers, many of them met with defeat and Death. And while I don't want to say that it's, it's expected that this would happen with space as well, it is kind of understood. But it's also understood that safety was lacking. There was a, a rush. Quality was not held to the highest standard. And this passion to be the first overrode human safety. But we've seen three space tragedies in the U.S. And each of them have come down to, in my opinion, the rush to continue. Apollo 1, it was a rush to make it to the moon. Challenger, it was a rush to get that rocket, that shuttle launched because it was backing up the schedule of other launches. Columbia, it was a rush to get it home because it, it seemed it would be fine. There was no way to fix it in space. So we just got to bring it back. And so safety was overlooked in all three of these situations. Am I blaming the people who made the decisions? No, they have to live with the decisions they made, the reasonings that they had. They were working with the best information that, that they had based on um, their understanding, the details, not blaming them at all. But we have to remember going forward with the space program, we have SpaceX, Blue Origin, a new group called Astra, Uh, All of these things that we want to go to space, take people to space. But we need to make sure that we don't rush to get to space and forget safety. So, um, hopefully this was interesting. Uh, There's so much to learn about Apollo 1. There's a lot of interesting details uh, that I didn't know about Apollo 1. You can also find recordings of those final minutes of the crew on Apollo 1, um, they're on YouTube, you can find it, look up, you know, final audio of Apollo 1, it's all over the place. Um, there's some interesting video, uh, pictures also of the crew's spacesuits, um, not something that I'm personally going to share, like, when I put this out as a video, I'm not going to share those pictures, that audio, but you can go, uh, find it and look for it, um, it's just a, a somber reminder of how precious life is and how quickly how quickly it can be gone. I mean, five minutes actually it was in less than five minutes. They believe I I think that the Apollo crew w- was probably dead within about thirty seconds. I th- er, about thirty seconds to a minute. I forget the exact time. Uh, again, one of those details that there's just there's so many of them. But it was in a very short amount of time that they. Um, We're asphyxiated hard word to say uh just because of the lack of oxygen just that fire came and just took all the oxygen out um but definitely lots to read about it uh the technical details so check it out i'll link a couple articles that um i read uh wikipedia has a pretty good uh combination of articles it has a good part about the plugs out test explaining that so definitely check that out but uh Thank you for listening to the Ant on the Move podcast. You can listen to it on Spotify, Anchor. I believe it's on Apple Podcasts and also on YouTube. It'll come out on Wednesdays. So check that out. If you have any comments or questions, you can let me know on Instagram or on... um, YouTube is probably the easiest spot. It's easiest to see those comments, but uh, let me know. And if you have any ideas for new podcast material, let me know about that as well. But thanks for listening. Tune in next Wednesday for the next Ant on the Moon podcast. Bye.